all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Do you like that one? That was good. Okay. Yeah. Um, there we go. Uh, follow us, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at All Bad Things Pod. Write to us, All Bad Things Pod at gmail.com. Rate, review, prescribe. Yes, the three R's. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting better at making it all compact and near the beginning. Otherwise, I'll forget. So, and join our discussion group on Facebook. We got like a whole bunch of new people. It's very lively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of lively discussion going on in the discussion group. So, um, any housekeeping? I don't think so. Okay. Not that I know. <laughs> You're so tired. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to pause and do this later? I don't, I don't think so. Why? Okay. Just making sure. No. <laughs> um... So, today's episode was inspired by an episode of a Netflix show that I watched, which I'll get into. So, that's one hint. I have told you about it, Mm -hmm. but it was a while ago. Um, And let me see. What was my other hint that has something to do with something political, recent-ish, that you would have a lot of input on? Do you have any guesses? I have no okay. idea. <laughs> you're, you're like, don't even bother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are vague. <laughs> they are vague. Clues They at are all. very vague, very vague clues. So today's episode is the story, the ongoing, very much ongoing story of Gulf War Syndrome. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember me telling you about that episode I watched of? Okay. No. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So, exposed to multiple environmental hazards, an estimated 175,000 to 250,000 United States veterans of the Persian Gulf War are still affected by Gulf War Syndrome, also called Gulf War Illness, a multi-symptom illness that results in chronic and sometimes extremely debilitating effects. Yeah. So, yeah. Had you heard of Gulf War Syndrome oh, before? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So this is a fascinating, horrible, very anger-inducing topic. Um, but I have to give credit to the show I was talking about. So it's this Netflix show called Diagnosis. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's. I've not watched it, but you yeah. told me about it. So it's a doc. The premise is a doctor who writes a column for the New York Times. It's, like, presented and produced by the New York Times. The show is. Uh, So it's fake news, folks. (laughs) Fake news New York Times. Or no, no, it's the failing New York Times. Oh, is that what he calls it? Oh, God, that man. They they uh, aren't they aren't great, but anyway, they can do documentaries. Uh, well, the 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 show is very good. So this doctor, who I forget her specialty, it might be neurology, but I'm not positive on that. Um, crowdsources through so she finds these cases throughout the US of people who have 
some sort of disease or disorder that has yet to be diagnosed. And typically these people have gone through like massive amounts of... I've been treated like guinea pigs. Yeah. Well, just... Trying to find out. Exactly. Testing like crazy procedures, all sorts of... um, all sorts of medical issues to try and find out what what is wrong with them. And they're often neurological symptoms because neurological disorders are just really hard to pin down and to treat. We just are not that knowledgeable of our nervous system even still in medicine. But um, And then she takes the details from these people's histories and their case and crowdsources it by writing an article about it and saying, does anybody out there have any ideas of what this could be? And people respond to it, just average people who are like, yeah, my cousin has symptoms similar to this and this is what their doctor told them, you know, just like stuff like that, but also a lot of medical professionals who say, well, it sounds like this or it could be this, then they're sometimes able to sort of start narrowing down to get the person who has this mystery illness like diagnosed with one of the suggestions at times. I mean, the 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 results are very mixed, you know, very varied because that's how medicine works, you know. Sometimes sure. they know what's going on, sometimes they don't. And in one of the episodes, it was a man who had Gulf War syndrome, and I had never heard of this before. Um, but his story is, it, it was really compelling. I definitely recommend that episode. Of, I recommend the whole series of diagnosis, but that was an especially uh, good episode, I thought, because they showed just like how, well, they all, all do, but it was just horribly affecting him and his family. Um, he had memory loss issues, major memory loss issues, and uh, like got emotional and had mood disruptions that were not typical of him prior to these symptoms manifesting. <laughs> yeah, Jesse, Jesse agrees. What is it? Come here. I'll have paper for you to sit on in a second. Yeah. Come on. Don't cry. Don't cry, please. Yes, come on. Come on. Com- compelling podcast. <laughs> oh, so so compelling. This is Jesse instead of Demetrius this time being whiny. Um, and uh, anyway, it just really disrupted his life. I mean, his wife, obviously, it affected her greatly, and his daughter. It was just really sad. Um, and they, in all of the medical testing and stuff that had been done, nobody really considered the fact that he was a Gulf War veteran. Hmm. And once they did... Why? You would think they would consider that first. Because it is pretty well known, yeah. But the, we'll get into the the symptoms of this. It it can really throw diagnosing it off. So, anyway. Um, so, I got a lot of information from a ton of different sources. But, sort of the big three this week were Wikipedia, History.com, and Reddit. Because Reddit's just my new favorite source. <laughs> People can explain things really simply. I don't simply. understand Reddit. Like, I really don't. Like, I'll go on there for, a, like, when I have a gaming question, that's usually one of the oh, first okay. sites mm-hmm. that comes up. Mm-hmm. It, it, all it looks like is, like, a bunch of coded lines to me. Like, it's just... Oh, you mean just the appearance of yes. it? Yeah, it's very uh, lo-fi looking. Yeah, but the it, it's just like message boards. You remember yeah, old message oh, boards? Oh, I know, it's but that's that's like why that. I don't understand how it's so popular. <laughs> that it seems so nineteen ninety six. 
Yeah, but there's still a lot of good information. There's a lot of shit on Reddit, but yeah. there's a lot of good information. Oops, sorry. Um, that's, a lot of good information, That's too. where you asked me about the one scene in Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes. That's where I had seen a blurb mm. about it. Gotcha, so you kind of knew that it was coming. No, no, no. Oh. After, afterward, oh, oh, I had okay. seen it. I, I, gotcha. I had already played through that uh, that portion that, of it. That, that scene. Gotcha. We'll put it that way. Gotcha. For all you Red Dead Redemption 2 fans out there. <laughs> if you are a Red Dead Redemption 2 fan, kindly raise your hand. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to start. This is another long one just because, like last week's, the Everest episode had a lot of background because we're talking Mount Everest. This is going to have a lot of background because we're talking one of the major conflicts of the late 20th century well, of the 20th century, and one that's has had ramifications and will continue yeah, for who knows how long. It's uh, the reverberations of this war, even though it wasn't a war that lasted very long mm-hmm. or will necessarily go down in American history's context of a... Like Vietnam is a much right. splashier war, World uh, War II, all This that. is kind of the... Uh, I don't know. It was kind of just there. But... It set up a lot of other shit. Yeah, including 9-11, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, so we're going to get into a very short history, because <laughs> this could go on forever, of the Persian Gulf Wars. So the Gulf War, and uh, to be clear, we're, we're, we're specifically, when I say the Gulf War, here's what I'm talking about. Um, a war that was waged in the Middle East, specifically in Iraq, Kuwait, primarily in Iraq and Kuwait, but also Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the, the Persian Gulf region from August 2nd, 1990 to February 28th, 1991. So you're right. It was pretty short as far as just duration goes. Um, and when you name that date, the August 2nd, mm-hmm. um, that's not even when we... That's when we sent troops over. That's not when the actual war started. That's correct. That was Operation Desert Shield. Yes, it was. That started, yeah. Um, but that is the day that Kuwait was invaded mm-hmm. by Iraq, which we'll get into. Oh, okay. So that's the date. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's what started it. That's what started yes. off the whole conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed I say um so much. I'm sorry. I have to try and stop that. Anyway. So that's what I'm talking about because there have been multiple wars waged in this region. And the first one we're going to get into is also sometimes called the Gulf War, often the first Gulf War. So anyway, let's get into it. So once upon a time, there was a, a man named Saddam Hussein. Uh, yeah, he, he's dead now. He was executed in 06? I should have. Yes. Okay, yeah. Nope. Yep. 06. So anyway, he was born. You can born, see it on YouTube if you yes, want. Yes, I have watched it. I have, have you too. watched it? Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very grainy. It it's early. Really early it's the early days of cell phone footage. video. Yeah, it but, really is. I mean, you see him hang. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so it was effective. <laughs> yes, he saw what, yeah, what they were trying to shoot. So he was born in Iraq in 1937. Which basically makes him my grandparents' age. My grandparents were born in 36 and 38. So. I guess I didn't realize he was that I old. I know. He was almost 70 when he was executed. Huh. So, yeah. And unsurprisingly, as with many bad people and many corrupt people and many idiots who can't seem to speak the English language but somehow still run an entire country as in ours um he had a shitty childhood (laughs) with daddy issues and whatnot which again bad parents often equal 
Dictators, yay. Mm. So stop having <laughs> kids, people. Especially bad people. Yeah. Especially idiots. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you people particularly. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he, but his start to life was actually pretty awful. His dad and his brother died of cancer before he was born. Okay. And then his mother tried to abort him and kill herself. Oh. Yeah. It's pretty okay. hardcore and rough start to life. And uh, obviously, his that's Jesse playing with my shoe, in case anyone is wondering if he keeps going on, we'll stop him. So his mom was clearly not really in a good place for having a child, but she gave birth to him. And uh, he went to live uh, with, where did he? Oh, I didn't get into this. But anyway, he ended up like, Living with an uncle, I think, and then moving back in with his mom, but his stepdad really hated him. Basically, it was, it was like, no joke, a shitty childhood. But a lot of people have shitty childhoods and don't go on to become horrible dictators who that kill millions of people. So, anyway. But they do in their mind. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. You were like, wait a second, do they? No, I was like, why would you say that? <laughs> no. So, um, so he, like, super long and short of it, he grew up, became a political leader in Iraq. And we did actually c- kind of touch on some of this. I'm trying to remember if it was the Iran Blizzard episode. Anyway, there was an episode where we did touch on the bath party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget what episode it was. I really do. These all blend together. But at any rate, he was involved with the bath party. In Iraq and was a member of multiple coups, because mm-hmm. that happens sometimes, and worked his way up the ranks. And he was kind of notoriously the heavy of the party, right? Like the guy who didn't mind taking care of business, as sure. it were. So the Bath Party took power in Iraq in 1968, and so Saddam Hussein became the vice president to Ahmed Hassan al-Bakar. Is that my pronouncing that right? Abakar, right? Sure. Oh, okay. I thought you would. No. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who that person is. I mean, this was way back in the yeah. 60s. So as Abakar got older, Hussein was basically the de facto leader. Because sure. Abakar was like not really able to lead very effectively. So as second in command, he was the guy, sort of. And... He formally came into power as the leader of the Ba'ath Party, the leader of Iraq, in 1979. And this is also the year of the Iran Revolution, which we'll touch on. Mm -hmm. On July 22nd, 1979, I had never heard of this. Have you ever heard of the Ba'ath Party purge? I think so. Okay. But, but go, go Yeah, this ahead. is pretty hardcore. Uh, and you can see this on YouTube. Like, this is videotaped. Really? Okay. Yep. So, July 22nd, 1979, Saddam Hussein called an assembly of the higher-ups in the Ba'ath Party. And there was no agenda for this meeting. It was just like, hey, everybody come here for this meeting. So, okay, what's going on? Well, Hussein surprised everyone by saying, there's a fucking conspiracy against me. And he called to the podium the secretary of the Revolutionary Command Council, Muhi, um, I'm very sorry, I should have practiced these before, Muhi Abdel Hussein, to the podium 
again, this was videotaped and you can see this. And he accused him, like he called the guy to the podium and was like, you're the fucking ringleader of this conspiracy. Now, Abdul Hussein was coming off several days of being tortured. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And having threats brought against his family. For something else, apparently. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, no, it was for this, I would guess, anyway. Um, And he, so Abdel Hussein got up, he admitted to the conspiracy, leading the conspiracy, whether he did or not, who knows, because... He was tortured for he several days. He was just days. like, he's like, I'm going to die anyway. He's like, I might as well take, I might as well fall on the sword for this one. He asked for his life to be spared, then started naming people in the room. Total of 68 people he named. And every time he named someone, they would be approached by uh, some of Hussein's heavies and taken out of the room. Like, legit, this guy reads, uh, reads off 68 names and these people are taken out of the room one by one. It sounds like a future, if not already present, uh, Trump cabinet meeting. Legit, right? <laughs> like this is, yeah, this is his ideal. This is what he would want, motherfucker. So Saddam Hussein, while this was going on, which is ser- obviously very creepy, and everyone in the room is like, "Holy fuck, is my name going to be called?" So clearly, this is just horrible. He is just kicking back, enjoying himself, smoking a cigar given to him by his pal, Fidel Castro. Ah. Yeah. Looking very happy, very at ease, because this man was a psychopath, or sociopath, or maybe just a horrible fucking human being. He's dead now. Bye-bye. But anyway, those who remained behind were obviously very relieved. Yeah. <laughs> and they started... We're still sweating. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> they started cheering, long live Saddam. So those who arrested were all tried and found guilty of treason. Uh, what do you know? 22 of them were executed. Oh, I'm surprised. I'm really shocked it wasn't all of them. Right. I'm, I'm really shocked it wasn't all of them on, on the, the spot. spot. Legit. <laughs> So suffice it to say, and to very much understate the situation, Saddam Hussein was a very bad man on a gigantic power trip, and the people in Iraq did not exactly flourish under his forced leadership. So, Now, Iraq has, and again, to understate the situation and honestly skip over centuries of details, an antagonistic relationship with their neighboring country, Iran. So between 1980 and 1988, this resulted in a full-blown war. Now, this is what's sometimes referred to as the first Gulf War, not the Gulf War that immediately comes to mind for Westerners, because we were not, I can't say we were not involved in it, because we're going to get into oh, that, we, but oh, we, we were, were not, involved in it. <laughs> it wasn't troops on the I've, ground involved. In I've it. always known it as the Iran-Iraq War. Okay, yes, that's also one of the names that it's known by. Mm-hmm. So the the ramping up to this war was right around the time of this bath party purge that I just talked about, which <laughs> sounds like beach blanket bingo, <laughs> bath party purge, except not at all, and except, much worse, much, much worse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the Ayatollah Khomeini, does that name sound familiar? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini uh, led, had led the 1979 Iranian Revolution which we're not going to get into (laughs) any further. It was a largely, uh, well, at least part of it was a religious conflict. Yes. Again, 
something that has been just happening time and time again in so many countries forever and ever and will continue. Amen. Uh, So he led the 79 Iranian revolution and he was very vocal against the Ba'ath government in Iraq. And Hussein initially praised the Ayatollah Khomeini and the Iranian revolution and kind of tried to make nice, but um, the Ayatollah Khomeini was having none of it and called for an Islamic revolution in Iraq. And that just pissed Saddam Hussein right off. Uh, so other shit happened. Thanks, Khomeini. Yeah, thanks. Like everything could everything could have been nice over there for a little while, but you had to fuck it up. So other shit happened over the next year, and yes, I'm glossing over it. I I, I get it, but I'm trying just to get to the highlights. And on September 22nd, 1980, Iraq invaded Iran, setting off. Oh, the war. okay. I thought it was the other way around. Mm-mm. Okay. No, not unless I no, <laughs> unless no, I no, mistyped. I'm, just, I'm pretty that's, sure that's it was okay. that's how it goes. Now, either either way, they did fight in a war with each other. Oh yes, so. yes, yes. Although that's a pretty big detail to get wrong. So if I did, I will definitely run a corrections corner on it. It's probably me that's wrong. That's okay. So the U.S., the United States, because despite what anybody wants in this country, we are a highly interventionalist nation. We love to stick our big fat noses in everyone else's conflicts, especially when there's something in it for us. Actually, mostly because there's something in it for us. Uh, So we did in this conflict as well. So after the Iranian revolution, the administration of President Jimmy Carter kind of saw Iran as like the good guys in this conflict because of Iraq's involvement with the Soviet Union. So we're still in like Cold War era. Oh yeah. So it's like, oh, Iraq is the commies. So Iran is in the right here. And then on November 4th, 1979, several hundred pro-Khomeini Iranians stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran, and thus began the very splashy and controversial Iran hostage crisis, right? Um, Which lasted for the rest of the Carter administration and was probably, well, was a large reason that he didn't win re-election, in 1980. At least that's the impression I get. Well, yes, and we could also get into uh, Ronald Reagan's administration during, well, his, pre, his pre-administration during this time, because he wasn't president yet, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much committing treason. But that, that's a story for another day. Well, it's awfully convenient that literally 20 minutes after his inauguration speech on January 20th, 1981, is when the remaining hostages were released. That's wonderfully convenient. Yeah, how about and, that time? Yeah. Sure would seem like he had something to do with all this. Oh, he did. Like, it's not even a secret anymore. Yeah. So, so anyway. So. Look look that up, because we won't get into that, because that's a, talk about a sidebar. That fucker Reagan, I swear. Swear to God. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, January 20th, ni- uh, 1981, when the hostages were released, this is spilling over or overlapping into the time of the Iran-Iraq war. Right, because it started in, at the end of 1980 or near the end of 1980. So the U.S. openly backed Iraq in the war, provided arms, and even met with Saddam Hussein. Like there, oh, this you can is see on, footage of that. Oh yeah. yeah, 
Donald Rumsfeld. Mm -hmm. Shaking hands. That motherfucker, Donald Rumsfeld, who was at that point the former Secretary of Defense and going to be a future Secretary of Defense in a weird twist of fate. Um, Yeah, he met and was shaking hands with Saddam Hussein and all that. Yay. Hi, Saddam. Nice to meet you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so this all led to the eventual Iran-Contra affair mm-hmm. in which the U.S. went on ahead and sold arms to Iran when as well. supposedly we were backing Iraq and selling arms to Iraq. Like, what the fuck? Um, so it was a fun little game of turnabout that was shouldered by one Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North of the U.S. Marine Corps and the National Security Council. Uh, he, you know, he was eventually convicted. Yes, he was. Of these charges, but then his convictions were vacated and reversed. Oh, I guess I didn't know that part. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, in all of this, Reagan testified before Congress that selling arms to Iran was a, quote, mistake, <laughs> end quote. And everyone seems to have for- forgiven no, and forgotten um, and moved on. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Forgetting, um, <laughs> forgetting to order the chicken nuggets for whoever, for your kids or whatever at the drive-thru. Right. That's, that's a, a mistake. mistake. <laughs> <laughs> G- giving uh, a, a hostile, hostile to us as well. Yes. Giving a hostile foreign power uh, armaments. Arms. That's, uh, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it's beyond a mistake. Yes. You you don't just oopsie when you're yeah, talking about... Somehow they wound up with crates of AK-47s. We don't know how. <laughs> Whoops! Whoopsie. Must, <laughs> must have fallen out of the plane. Um, I put... I wrote this in the script. Side note, Reagan is one of the dirtiest motherfuckers who fucked up our country completely in the 80s. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that'd be my sentiment as well. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry to any uh, Reagan fans out there. Are there any Reagan fans out there? Old people. I was going to say, yeah. I don't think anybody... Well, I mean, uh, younger people really don't know him at all, really, except through clips, probably. He was... uh, He just won re-election when I was born, and I'm not... I'm not, like, 20 or anything. I'm almost 35. So, yeah, even those of us who are approaching middle age don't really remember a pre-Reagan world or don't remember the Reagan era, so... So now this is all the lead up <laughs> to the war that we're talking about. So big breath here. So the sort of, quote, end, but not really because nothing ever really got solved here and is still going on. Like, uh, what is it? Was it uh, in Clueless? She at one point is just like, I'm just really worried about, I thought they declared peace in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the quote, end of this Iran-Iraq war was a ceasefire brokered by the UN in 1988. Estimates of deaths, military and civilian, during that eight-year period are between 700,000 and 1.6 million. Sounds about right. Literally hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. It's just horrific. Uh, but that's not all, folks. Let's keep going on. So things were still... If you stay in the Middle East, you'll also get... <laughs> you get a war, and you get a war, and you get a war. Uh, so uh, things were still not great. Things didn't end well, even though it was technically a ceasefire. And if you can't become... if Like, even in... Like, say you go through a bad breakup in a personal relationship... 
think of how hard it is to go on and be friends with that person. Yeah, not like, happening. This isn't happening in countries that have killed <laughs> yeah. hundreds of thousands of each other's citizens. I've never understood. Like, like, I do have a friend that managed to be friends with all of them. I'm like, what is I'm like, that is so weird. What is wrong with you? Like that. <laughs> It maybe if it's all just like mutual and whatever, but that's not what war works no. <laughs> out like, and it's certainly not what bad breakups work out to be. So this was like a horrible breakup, basically, except to the nth degree. So Saddam Hussein, still the head honcho in Iraq at this time, still as power hungry as ever. That doesn't really go away, I don't think. So during the first Gulf War, the Iran Iraq War. Uh, Iraq's little neighboring country, Kuwait, Mm -hmm. was initially neutral in the conflict and then sided with Iraq because they weren't super happy with the Ayatollah and his regime in Iran. So Kuwait ended up loaning Iraq, and and this is back in whatever, 1980, whatever year it was, dollars, the equivalent of 14 billion U.S. dollars. Wow. So billions. And again, this is back 30 years, 30 plus years ago. So that was during the war. uh, And that pissed off Iran because they're like, what are you doing funding them to the point that Iran attacked Kuwaiti oil tankers and personnel multiple times. So for backing Iraq, Hmm. Kuwait heard it from Iran, right? So after the war, uh, Iraq sure as fuck wasn't ready to pay off a $14 billion debt to Kuwait. But it's not like they were like, okay, let's work out a payment plan. (laughs) They asked to be forgiven of the debt completely. You're like, can't you just like erase it from your ledger? Call it a bad debt. Mm -hmm. Like that's that. Um, now, not unreasonably, in my opinion, Kuwait wasn't really keen on doing that. It's a fucking loan. <laughs> You're supposed to pay it back. Even if you can't right now, we need to talk about the terms. We're not just forgiving $14 billion. And that resulted in a whole bunch of bad blood all the way around for between the countries. Uh, so additionally, Iraq started accusing Kuwait of something called slant drilling, Oh, yeah. So basically along their borders, they were saying that Kuwait was drilling down and then over Mm -hmm. past the border and stealing, right, Mm -hmm. exactly, stealing oil from Iraq. So Iraq claimed that Kuwait stole 2.4 billion U.S. dollars worth of oil. Well, so they almost got the loan back. No, and then they demanded compensation for it. (laughs) 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 They're not even like, take it off our bill. They were like, no, you owe us this. You need to forgive our debt, and then you need to pay us two and a half million, billion dollars for it. Yeah, that sounds like a sociopath (laughs) running a government, all right. Yes, it does. Wait, that sounds a lot like our current president, doesn't it? Jesus Christ. That's so interesting. I hope somebody slant drills him someday. (laughs) So OPEC tried intervening intervening by negotiating a limit on the amount of oil (laughs) that Kuwait could put out. Good luck. Uh, And that didn't help much. As if the money and the oil weren't enough reason for conflict, Iraq also claimed that Kuwait really should be a part of Iraq. In other words, they owned Kuwait. I mean, Kuwait's not very big. No, it's it really not. Is not. And and they said the only, Iraq was claiming that the only reason that Kuwait was kind of its own country was a result of British imperialism. Sure. So. Now, eventually... Damn Brits, they keep popping up everywhere. (laughs) They do. 
Eventually, all these tensions came to a head when on August 2nd, 1990, Iraq invaded and occupied Kuwait. Neighboring countries freaked the fuck out, understandably, and called on the U.S. and other Western countries to intervene. And I literally wrote this. Never let it be said that the good old U.S. of A. isn't down for a fun war. Oh, always. We love war. We're such (laughs) fucking war hawks. So the U.N. gave Iraq a deadline of January 15th, 1991 to get the fuck out of Kuwait. And that came and went and thus began Operation Desert Storm. And you are right that right after the occupation, there was a there was already a shoring up of troops, right? They oh, were yeah. sent over there. That was called Operation Desert Shield, mm-hmm. the lead up. And then once it was like, hey, this deadline's coming and going, they're not moving, that's when they launched Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. So on the morning of January 17th, 1991, the second Persian Gulf War, or the Gulf War, began with the launch of an air campaign against Iraq. We have a fun little picture Mm -hmm. of planes and bombs and desert in formation. Uh, So between that day, January 17th and February 23rd, 1991, the United States, along with coalition forces, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just the U.S., uh, uh, but especially the U.K., Saudi Arabia, Canada, France, and Italy. I almost said Canada. 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 Basically, they bombed the shit out of Iraq, and newer military technology was being used, like stealth bombs, laser-guided missiles. Uh, we hadn't been to war since Vietnam, so we had a solid 18 years of and we had a, new stuff And to we had do. a bunch of new toys to play oh, with. Oh, yeah, and weren't we ready to launch and, it, too? And you could watch it live on CNN mm-hmm. for fun. That's right. That's right. They televised all this stuff. An estimated 10,000 to 12,000 people were killed in Iraq as a result during the air raids, uh, with 46 casualties on the coalition side. And one of them from here. We saw that in oh, the... Uh, really? Remember when we went to the, the World War One display oh, at the oh, museum? Okay. And then they had uh-huh. a, a other display wars, of other wars right. from North Carolina. I don't remember that specifically, yeah. but okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but I believe he was a Navy pilot. Okay. So these attacks were followed up with a ground invasion, which didn't last long. It didn't take long at all. It lasted 100 hours um, before Kuwait was liberated. And a total of about 670,000 troops from 28 different countries, 425,000 of whom were American or American soldiers, fought in Desert Storm. Now, I say fought because that's not the only people who were there. There were troops there for support, troops that weren't directly deployed but were in the region. Um, That number, as far as the U.S. goes, the U.S. Department of Defense says that they deployed about 700,000 troops to the region. So 425,000 of them actually fought in active combat. The rest were still there, deployed, just not in active combat. So... Now, the war also made household names of uh, General Storman Norman, Norman. Schwarzkopf and then chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Colin Powell, who would go on to become Secretary of State, right? Under Bush? Yes. Baby Bush? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was one of the last major conflicts before stuff like suicide bombs and um, improvised explosive devices, IEDs, became part of warfare. So in a sense, this is kind of like the end of, quote, traditional 
warfare, and I use that very loosely because obviously they had missiles and stealth bombs and shit. It's so pretty much stuff. It's pretty much the beginning of the end of hand to hand combat. Hand to hand combat is almost non existent. Yeah, not to say that it doesn't happen because it but does. It's drones and missiles and shit. This now. is also the first war that drones were used. They just were not. Oh. They were not armed drones at the time. Oh. They were just taking footage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Trying to, and there, you, you can see, you can probably still watch it on YouTube. I remember watching us on CNN. Uh, they used those drones when the ground war started. And part of the reason that the ground war didn't last very long is like as soon as Iraqi units would see the drones, they would almost immediately put up a white flag. because they Because oh, they, 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 they knew what was coming. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now we're going to shift our focus a little bit from the overall operation of Desert Storm to the U.S. soldier experience during Desert Storm. Now, obviously, there were plenty of other troops, hundreds of thousands of other troops from many other countries present, um, and many of whom had very similar or identical experiences and who have also suffered from Gulf War illness and Gulf War syndrome. But the resources I was able to find and access were mostly U.S.-based, Sure. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to be speaking more to the U.S. experience, but that certainly is not to say that this is a uniquely American thing, just to be clear. So uh, the most recent war that saw U.S. soldiers sent to fight prior to the Gulf War, as I said, was Vietnam, and that had been a solid 18 years since the last of the troops were pulled from Vietnam in March of 1973. And a lot had changed since then, obviously, right? So for one thing, uh, do you remember hearing, like, the average age of a soldier in Vietnam was 19? Yeah, I think so. Um, That's probably not true. It's still very controversial, but it seems like it was more maybe 20 or 21. I mean, still very young. Still young. Still very young. But but maybe not quite as young as we've heard. But at any rate, one of the reasons for this was that there was a draft, right? Mm -hmm. So a compulsory uh, conscription run on a lottery system, uh, which is why not just every eligible man was drafted during Vietnam. It was built on a lottery system based on birth date, I think. I think so. It is how it was done. And that was birth year, I believe. No, it was no? it was day. Was it day? Yeah, oh, pretty okay. sure. And I mean, yes, your age also came into play, but it was uh, it was month and day, I believe. Okay. In fact, I think they even televised the draft lotter- lotteries, uh, where it was like basically like a little ping pong ping pong ball comes up. I don't think it was like that. I think no. it was in the, one of those rolly things where you pick out a name. Did they really? Yeah. Yeah. To my recollection, I think I've seen footage of that. Yes. So can you imagine like the worst lottery ever? The one lottery you don't want to win? Well, my uh, uncle Skip got his uh, draft card in the mail Mm. one day. Mm -hmm. Like notice to report for your physical and all that. Ugh, that would be awful. The legislation mandating the draft expired in June of 1973. And that has not been reenacted since. Now, we do have the Selective Service here in the U.S., so men between the ages of 18 and 25 are required to uh, register, basically, right? It's just like Mm -hmm. a census-type thing. Basically. I think... And and take the, uh, whatever the aptitude test is called. Oh, okay. There's a test involved, Mm -hmm. too? Okay. And that's... I had to to do that in high school. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they, they have you do that, and there's certain, like... 
if you try to go get your driver's license and you're 18 and you haven't yet, you can't unless you do and yeah. all this stuff. It's, it is it is compulsory. But I think the idea of the selective service is that if they ever decide to reenact a draft, it would be very easy to identify the eligible Oh, sure. People. Absolutely. So... Uh, so in the Gulf War, the average age of a soldier skewed much older, 27 was oh, really? the average okay. age of a soldier in the Gulf War, because these were people, one, who volunteered mm-hmm. for military service, and two, were there were a lot of reservists. Mm-hmm. And 20% of U.S. troops at the time were reservists in their 30s and 40s. So obviously that averaged out much older, right? Now there were significant concerns because the pop or the average age of these soldiers was skewing older. There was concerns by the military that the troops might be more risk averse because they were older, they may have families, they may have oh, kids that they want to yeah. get back to, yeah. spouses, all that stuff. Um, and would be more settled in their personal and family lives. But then they were also like, yeah, but, you a lot, know. A lot of them asking themselves, do I really want to fucking die for somebody in yeah, Kuwait? Exactly. I didn't even know Kuwait existed until exactly. three months ago. But then, then there was also sort of the counterpoint that a lot of these guys were more experienced. Uh, so sure. They, I, well, they're they're more uh, they're more careerists. Yes, like guys who were yeah. in there for more the long haul yeah. than just because they had to. Exactly. I should also mention my cousin Ray was in this war as well. Mm-hmm. And is he's not active not anymore. duty anymore? No, right? he yeah. was. But he was in twenty-two years. Okay, he was in the Gulf War and the Iraq and Afghanistan he's been in, wars. He's been in right? all of yeah. them. Yep. Okay. Um, so. But he was. He was. Um, he had pictures from there. I remember. I remember okay. seeing them. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he was. I remember him telling 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 us about the uh, the gas mask drills that they had to go oh, through. Wow! Because it was very at this time because Saddam Hussein had gassed his own citizens during the Iran Iraq War. We're going to get into that. <laughs> so there was so there was a very mm-hmm. this war. People were very much afraid that he was going to use gas against. U.S. We troops. are going to get into so, all of that. Okay. Absolutely. Chemical warfare. Yep. Yes. Yes, we will. Which is illegal, but not like he would do It's against fuck. the Geneva Convention, yes. but yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Not that that's going to stop anybody from using it. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, the, the idea was, okay, these guys might be more risk-averse, but they're also more experienced, which could be more valuable in warfare. So, anyway. U.S. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a... It kind of a. I think I would rather go with the twenty-seven-year-olds than the they, nineteen or twenty-year-olds. They're more experienced. There, there yeah. is that also. Just being a little older, you're smarter. I mean, yes. I'm not saying kids are dumb. I, I literally just watched uh, Greta Thunberg give the most amazing <laughs> speech on climate change. She's sixteen years old and so far beyond any, <laughs> basically anyone else I've ever met in my life, including myself. So that's not to say young people are dumb. I do not mean to say that at all. I think people are way too dismissive of young people. But in the case, also, she's a woman. And here's the thing. Young guys are dumb asses. <laughs> what do you mean young guys? Well, most, most <laughs> men are dumb asses. Um, but <laughs> I say that jokingly. But uh, anyway. All men are ultimately 12. We all know that. <laughs> So, U.S. women soldiers, speaking of women, mm-hmm. also served in more yes, direct capacities. 
though none were specifically assigned to combat due to laws that weren't changed until 2016, at which point combat jobs were officially open to women soldiers. Prior to that, women were not allowed to serve in combat um, actively, like deliberately. Mm -hmm. Obviously, some women ended up in combat just because of how their camp was attacked or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be. But... Uh, and to also be clear, the U.S. military has a long and really troubled uh, history with what exactly they consider to be a person's sex. So in other words, like if someone was a trans woman, they would still be considered a man and for U.S. military service and shit like that. That's all fucked up. And and that Trump is taking us completely backwards on. So thanks, fuckface. <laughs> um, so... And this is, yeah, so. That should be everybody's 2020 campaign. Thanks, Thanks fuckface. Fuck <laughs> Put that on a bumper sticker and try to sell it. Hashtag thanks, fuckface. All right. Maybe I should, everything I tweet about Trump from now on should just be hashtag you Maybe we'll get it, maybe we'll get it, get it as a trend. Yeah. So nevertheless, several U.S. women soldiers were killed in action and wounded in action. If I'm not mistake, mistaken, um, Courage Under Fire mm-hmm. with Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan was about a woman I who was don't killed and I think it's a combat. true story. It's, oh, okay. I think it's a, a fictional I think it's a fictionalized yeah. version of a true story, but yes. Understood. There okay. were um yes, there were female combat deaths in yes, this war. Yes, that's right. And uh wound, wounded in action mm-hmm. as well. So Because traditionally up to this point um women in the military as far as a combat goes were t- pretty much designated to field nurses. That's what they're... Yeah, yeah. It was support high, staff, yes. essentially. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Although, like, women being in... I mean, and those are still incredibly important jobs, obviously. Uh, but women being involved in war goes back to the Revolutionary War. I mean, yeah, like, actively involved. And in this time, um, women are kind of in intelligence here and there, but not not like they are today. Right, and hopefully not today is not like it will be 20 years from now. We're still obviously hoping oh, it'll, for it'll more equitable evolving. distribution. I mean, yeah. it, in 20 years from now, it's probably all going to be robots anyway. So it's, you know. <laughs> well, here's hoping. Like the mechanized suits that you see in Fallout, like, might be fucking real <laughs> in, in 20 years from now. Maybe. And if it, uh, one more state can just fucking ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, that would be a great start. So, anyway. But getting very political. Thanks, Fatface. <laughs> so there were a lot of extreme conditions that U.S. well troops, period. But we're again, we're specifically kind of talking to the U.S. experience. Uh, troops were subjected to when serving in the Gulf. So soldiers faced very long travel times. I mean, getting from the U.S. to the Middle East isn't a short jaunt. But they were like packed into military aircraft. This was not a comfy little ride. It was pretty awful. Uh, they were plopped into the desert, uh, and not just any desert. We're talking about the second hottest place ever recorded on Earth. So the hottest place on Earth is it's uh, the place right outside of Vegas. Yeah, um, Death, Valley, Death Valley, California. Duh. Mm-hmm. Where nobody <clears throat> lives. Nope. <laughs> to be clear, but people live in Iraq and Kuwait. And I think we smart uh, rightfully decided <laughs> not to go to Death Valley when we went to in Vegas. In late July, was, early August? Yeah, not too so much. Hot. <laughs> That'll be a winter yeah. excursion. Yeah, exactly. We'll go in January. Mm-hmm. 
So the all-time high temperature recorded in the entire Eastern Hemisphere was set on July 21st, 2016 in Kuwait when the temperature reached 129.2 degrees. God. Wow. We were in 115 degree Mm -hmm. weather in Vegas. Now add another almost 15 degrees to that. That's no, thank you. I can't like mine. It was on that it one. was unbearable. The it was heat. very hot. I mean, it helped that it was dry, but still, it was very very hot. You couldn't stay out there very long. No, not at all. So, and it's not like these these soldiers had beautiful not, air conditioned accommodation. No, they're not getting to dip into a casino for five exactly. minutes because <laughs> which is what what our strategy was in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and uh, for anyone um, needing the Celsius, that's fifty four degrees Celsius. Holy so, yeah. shit! Yep. So. The soldiers were typically also uh, laden with incredibly heavy backpacks. Like, they had to carry all their shit with them. They were literally schlepping through the desert in, like, almost 130-degree heat. That, I I think I would just faint constantly. I mean, they had very strict hydration protocols Mm -hmm. to try and, you know, basically keep anyone from fainting and dying from heat exhaustion. But I just, I couldn't. I would I would have just I'm pretty sure my body would have just like gone into shock and I would have to be like sent home on medical leave or but something. But you have to understand like these guys they're trained for it. So They are, but it's still very Sure. Awful. It's a shock to the system, but yeah. you know, they they went through um I almost got to experience. I was very close to going into the army. Yeah. But uh I mean they're this is what they do. So yeah. they're trained for it. You didn't have to go into the army. Everyone thinks like you're, uh, you've been asked well, how many times? Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> I think it's how you carry yourself. You, well, you have shorter hair, mm-hmm. and and you're you've got a good like swagger, and thanks oh, thank to you. your job, you've got nice muscles. No, thank you. <laughs> got a good swagger. But I would have been in after this happened, and, right? And out. out before nine eleven. Unless you really liked it and wanted to stay in. Yeah, I guess. I guess. So. so you, uh, add to all of this the fact that just like <laughs> I have never been a soldier, I never will be a soldier, never will serve in the military. It is not my bag, so I'm sure this is just oversimplifying again uh, the the military experience. But it was just shitty living conditions too. Oh, like yeah. one soldier named Glenn Coleman said, "quote It was close to living like an animal." I always say because we didn't get showers on a regular basis. When we first got out there, nobody got a shower in about a month. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I remember my... It makes my skin want to grow a little bit. I don't know if you get into this at all or not, but I remember my cousin Rainy. He'll still mm-hmm. talk about this every now and then, how like fine the sand is oh, and, that it j- and that it just gets in everything. And you can't get it It gets out. in your oh. food. It gets in your oh. drink. He's just like... he's just After a while, you just, just fucking deal with it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That just is... Miserable. He's like so he's so like miserable. A, he's like it will get into your clothes and stuff. He's 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 like it just does. He's like there's nothing you, you can do about it. With, oh mm-hmm. God! So in addition to horrific weather, horrific living conditions, extreme physical demands, the U.S. soldiers working in the Gulf were also subjected to intensely hazardous working conditions above and beyond the typical risk of combat. So. Um, that's that's something I realized. I found myself talking about working conditions, and that's when I sort of I realized we talk 
about military service as you were serving there. You were, you know, and that's, that's all great, you know, because it's true that it is a measure of sacrifice to work for the work in the, as a military member. However, like, I think as a result, we kind of expect things of, of soldiers because we're not thinking of them as quote working, but that's what they're doing. This is their job. their job. And just like any other worker, if a, if a worker in America were subjected to these types of conditions, that's anti everything labor that could possibly be, what are you smiling about? Nothing. I'm, oh, just, okay. I'm just listening. I guess, I guess just I wonder if using the terms service and such so much maybe makes us forget that this is also these people's jobs and they're expected to work in such horrendous conditions. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they recruit today. Yeah. Um, if it's all patriotic and gung-ho, it might be, it might not be. But when I was being recruited, it was not that at all. It was, yeah. it was what do you want to do for a living? And at the time, I was like, oh, I want right. to be a DJ. They're mm-hmm. like, great, you can go into the communication. He's right. like, he's like, you can be a DJ on armed forces radio. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I didn't even know what that was. Right. Yeah. But that's how I got, it had nothing to do with you're going to save, your you're going to save the yeah. planet. It mm-hmm. had, it had, what do you like to do? What do you want to do? We've got a job Make for a career. that. We can train you in your career. Yep, we've got yeah. a job for that. That it was about a, um, a boost to your career or learning mm-hmm. something for yeah. your career. Not about serving God and country and all that shit. And it's, pr- I, I would guess it's probably still the same way. Cause I think kids, today know they're going to war pretty much no matter yeah. what. So maybe, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's how it was. It was like, you know, it was whatever, jo- whatever job you want to yeah. do, we've, we've got it. And, and that's, that's, I mean, I do think it, it it's, it is a career move. Some, t- in some cases, a long-term career move with decent benefits in some cases. And I only say decent because we fuck it up with the VA. Oh, and they shit. get, and they get paid shit. Yeah. Like these, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, for they what do they're not having get, to do, it's yeah, ridiculous. They don't get paid dick. But we clearly show how much we value service with civil service too. How much teachers get paid, etc. It's abysmal. So, but CEOs, yeah, can make a killing. Yeah, the guys, Literally. the people supplying the drones are fucking making bank. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> so shout out to General Dynamics. <laughs> yes. All right, I shouldn't just call them out. BAE. Uh, who else? Oh my God, uh, Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Lots of them. Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Uh, Johnson Controls. They make mm-hmm. they make certain stuff at our plant too. Really? There's Johnson Controls stuff here and there wow. that I see. Yep. Huh. Okay. All right. So the hazards of working, I'll say working as a military member in during Desert Storm. So let's talk now about chemical weaponry, shall we? You brought it up earlier. So in the first Gulf War, meaning the Iran-Iraq War, Iraq did very specifically and deliberately use chemical weapons against Iran, which was a blatant violation of the Geneva Protocol of 1925, which very specifically prohibits chemical and biological warfare. Basically, it was decided this is not okay. This is not playing fair. This is just so awful that we need to all agree we'll never use it on each other. So... Now, because they had used chemical, Iraq had used chemical weaponry against Iran, there was a very real concern that they would use it again during the 1991 conflict. And, and that makes perfect sense, yeah, right? The, the chemical weapons were the WMDs of 1991. Yes, the weapons of mass destruction for anyone who remembers the 9 11 era. Um, but it, it turned out 
that in so in 1997 the US government actually confirmed that the US intelligence community came to the conclusion that quote Iraq did not use chemical weapons during the Gulf War. Yeah, we would have fucking known it if so, they did. Yeah. So yeah. that they wouldn't they wouldn't have been able to keep a lid on that. Now we're going to keep going on this thread, but as far as active combat goes, there were not chemical agents used by Iraq during that conflict. So just to be clear, but that doesn't mean there was no exposure to such weaponry um, and especially to troops to very dangerous chemicals. So in fact, it was very clear that there was at least one specific incident during which thousands of people were exposed to toxic chemicals. And that was um, the destruction of the Kamasia, maybe it's Kamasaya, Kamasaya. I, I looked up the how to pronounce it and forgot. It's okay. Kamasaya Ammunition Storage Facility in Kamasaya in southern Iraq. So on March 3rd, 1991, right after, right, the end of everything, Right after after the end of uh, major combat. Yes, exactly. The U.S. Army demolished this ammunition facility. They exploded it, right? They just... And and we're not talking... I don't know. We're not talking like a warehouse. We're talking an entire compound of like concrete bunkers. And this place was so big... It covered about 15 and a half square miles wow. or 25 square kilometers. That, that's huge. And so they detonated explosives, gigantic mushroom cloud, right? Because they're exploding dangerous chemicals. But what happens when you explode dangerous chemicals? They get into the fucking air. So this likely resulted in nerve gases like sarin. Mm-hmm. To be released into the atmosphere because chemical weaponry was being stored there, even though it wasn't used. It was being stored, right? So that's... (laughs) But if you blow it up, you're still putting it to use. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, really. And you're releasing all Mm -hmm. that shit into the air. And the troops who were nearby were obviously exposed to that, which is horrible. Now, a major part of the, moving on to another hazard, a major part of the U.S. ground offensive during the Gulf War was the use of tanks, specifically the M1 Abrams, or the M1. A lot of people know that to be. It was like the badass motherfucker of tanks, right? It was an upgrade to U.S. combat, and it could basically just destroy other tanks, which are, by their very nature, supposed to be pretty indestructible, right? It was like the super tank. And part of what made the Abrams so powerful was its ammunition, which included one very potent ingredient, depleted uranium. Uranium. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, what do we know about uranium? It, it doesn't really ever go away, And for it's one radioactive. Thing. Yes. And we know from our Chernobyl episode, we mm-hmm. went all through the effects of radiation, very bad to the human body, yeah. just horrible to the human body. So everyone in the vicinity of these tanks, the troops on the ground, um, civilians, anyone who was nearby, were potentially exposed to extremely dangerous levels of radioactivity from depleted uranium. Now, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that is also illegal. We're not supposed to be using that. Really? Yes. Okay, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. But not only that, I didn't go into this... But we're definitely not supposed to be using it now, and we've denied using it. But apparently, in recent years, it's been it's been discovered that 
we've been using depleted uranium mm-hmm. ammunition again, yeah. like in the past few years, which is horrible. So now these are two two of <laughs> among the biggest hazards that troops were exposed to, but it wasn't the only. These weren't the only ones. Other potential hazards included exposure to pesticides containing organophosphates, which are dangerous nerve agents, inhalation of smoke from Kuwaiti oil wells that mm-hmm. were set on fire by Iraqi troops, vaccinations. Give it now. Vaccines equals good. Just to be clear, <laughs> we are not anti-vaxxers, and we're just talking. Uh, when I say don't be anti-vax, I mean on all the stuff that the FDA has studied and approved, and it's not going to give your kid autism. And please don't be an ableist and think that if your kid ends up with autism, it's some sort of horrible thing. Anyway, not talking normal vaccinations. We're talking about uh, vaccinations that, while technically cleared for soldiers by the FDA. Um, they were never put through large-scale clinical trials, uh, which is not good. Mm. But so, so some soldiers, U.S. soldiers, were given um, anthrax vaccinations. Again, because exactly what you said, they thought that maybe Saddam Hussein would use chemical weaponry. So, hey, if he uses anthrax, we need to give these guys inoculations against it. Unfortunately, those inoculations were potentially very hazardous. And then another um, safety measure, so to speak, that ended up fucking people over was uh, that some soldiers were given these pills. It was a prophylactic, so um, uh, like something meant to prevent something, right? It was not a shot. It wasn't, or rather, I think it was a pill, but it wasn't a vaccination per se. It was meant to be a prophylactic uh, called pyridostigmine bromide. PB, it's also called. Um, But it was given in excess of 15 times what was the approved dosage to these some of these soldiers. So and this is all this is all without considering other shit like PTSD. Mm -hmm. This is just the physical toxins. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously This is just the everyday stuff. Yes. Obviously PTSD is not going to make anything better. (laughs) It's just gonna make everything worse. So so it didn't take long after returning home from the Gulf War, which you were right, was very quick, right? All things considered, especially that now we're involved in all these endless conflicts. Uh, it didn't take long for troops to come home and start experiencing um, odd symptoms and illnesses. Mm-hmm. Now, these symptoms are multiple, varied, experienced in different levels and different people. But they include, and I'm just saying include because this is not exhaustive, memory problems, a massive rate of terminal tumors, mm. so cancer isn't a big issue, fatigue, skin conditions, yeah. uh, muscle and joint pain, headaches, diarrhea, other neurological problems like tingling of the limbs, dizziness, uh, stomach aches and indigestion, and persistent coughing and wheezing. Hmm. So this, is, this stuff is just affecting all systems of the body, basically. So, like I said, it's it's a broad range of symptoms, and this is not exhaustive either, what I was listing. Some are very general. You know, like if you're like, damn, I'm just tired all the time. Sure. That's almost impossible to diagnose, right? Um, and some are really scary, like fucking terminal tumors. And all have potentially very serious health consequences. 
Many suffering from these symptoms understandably also experience behavioral changes, mood problems, uh, things like that, and a lot of issues with interpersonal relationships. Because when there's shit fucking with your head and your body and everything's out and just even being the experience of being sick and not knowing what it is. Yeah. That's just not going to, that's just going to wreak havoc over your entire life. Here's one U S army, uh, desert storm veterans description of their experience. Quote, my symptoms began in the Gulf with severe abdominal cramping and severe diarrhea. I also had terrible headaches and bouts of dizziness and tingling. Once I returned to the base in Germany, the headaches persisted, and I experienced the cramp, cramps and diarrhea on a cyclical basis. I also went through periods of night sweats, and there were periods when I would sleep a lot because I was so fatigued. My joints were stiff, and my knees would swell after I ran. It was harder for me to do things without feeling short of breath. These symptoms became worse as time passed. Ever since my return from the Gulf, I've been plagued by multiple rashes mm. and lesions on my face, neck, arms, and back. They come and go. End quote. It's just like... Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Just And everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not just like, oh, I'm tired. No, you have problems sleeping, too, sometimes. And then sometimes you're dizzy. And sometimes you get night sweats. And sometimes you have just random rashes appear and lesions appear on I mean, your face and sure. neck. Pretty much all of them had sleeping problems, I would think. I, I would, yeah. I mean, just anytime you don't feel, imagine, think of how hard it is to sleep sometimes just like when you have a cold or the flu. Mm-hmm. It's just, ugh. Now, the good news is that Congress and along with other governmental legislatures and agencies in other countries, obviously, too, but specifically here in the U.S., Congress mandated that the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, Veterans Affairs study these alarming symptoms in veterans. And the first reports of, like, what could this be or what is going on here started coming out in 1998. Okay. So while that's still... Seven years, and I'm sure it was not a fun seven years, it's quick-ish for the government, I guess, because the government moves very slowly. Um, But anyway, so as a whole, this cluster of symptoms became known as Gulf War illness or Gulf War syndrome. Mm -hmm. Same thing. It was determined that the most likely cause of these symptoms being experienced by these veterans were the exposure to neurotoxins. Obviously, you're not going to, like, be okay after that shit. Now, there were two definitions of Gulf War illness established by the National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine in 2014. So the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, had one definition, has one definition, and the other definition is called the Kansas definition, established by the state of Kansas Persian Gulf Veterans Health Initiative. So the CDC defines, their definition identifies three types of symptoms. So three categories of symptoms. One is fatigue, the other is mood and cognition, and the third is musculoskeletal. So their definition of Gulf War illness is when a veteran of the war experiences symptoms in at least two of these three categories for at least six months. So there's a, a, a symptomology and duration requirement. The Kansas definition groups symptoms into six categories, fatigue and sleep problems, pain, neurological and mood issues, gastrointestinal, 
respiratory, and dermatological. And their definition of Gulf War illness is when a veteran of the war experiences symptoms in at least three of this of these six categories after having been deployed to the Gulf and having experienced these symptoms within the past year. Hmm. So that's how they diagnose this, right? Now, initially, there were arguments that maybe these symptoms were really just a result of PTSD. Like, so they had PTSD, it fucked up their bodies, too, because we know there's a mind-body connection, but fortunately, that was debunked. They're like, yeah, so this, this shit is something. This is something yeah, else. This shit didn't happen with Vietnam War veterans. This yeah. shit didn't happen with... I mean, now, that had well, its own issues, like Agent say, Orange and say shit. different things happened exactly. with... Exactly. Yeah. But the, these... This is different. And they, it was determined that this was different. In 2008, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs issued a report that specifically acknowledged, quote, Gulf War illness is real, end quote. And was that it was not a psychological disorder, that this was an actual physiological disorder. Not to say that it, it can't be amplified or aggravated or comorbid oh, with sure. psychological issues and or cause psychological issues, but it, that it's not just all in people's heads, basically. In May 2018, the U.S. Department of Defense released a report stating that Gulf War syndrome affected between 175,000 to 250,000 wow. U.S. veterans. Jesus, that's almost, that's, that's a quarter lot. million people. Yeah. And this is out of 700,000 deployed. So that's a prevalence rate of between 25% to almost 36%. Yeah, that's that's almost a lot. one out of three. Mm-hmm. So those most affected. Affected are those who served in the Army and the Marines. Sure. It's more prevalent in enlisted soldiers versus officers and most prevalent in those in the front lines. Those all seem like obvious correlations or understandable correlations. So now let's get into treatment and funding. So because there are so many varied symptoms to Gulf War syndrome, it can be incredibly difficult to treat. Are we going to let the Demer in? Mm -hmm. Okay, come on, Demetrius. Or or Jesse out. Oh, I know it's almost dinner time, Kitty. Oh, <laughs> in uh, comes Demetrius. Yes. All right, you gonna? Everyone loves it when you. Well, some people love it when you talk. The nice people love it when you talk. So, there you go. All right. Oh, okay. Switch them out. All right. So there's a lot of symptoms involved in Gulf War syndrome. It can vary from person to person. So it's really hard to treat. Uh, And obviously, sometimes hard to diagnose, as in the case of the veteran portrayed in diagnosis. So the fact that it's also neurologically based can make it very tough. Just ask anyone who has Lyme disease or fibromyalgia or any other number of very debilitating neurological diseases and disorders. Neurological disorders are really hard to treat. We just aren't... There just still needs to be a lot of advancement in these areas. So studies show that there's no single course of treatment that works for everyone. That makes sense because the symptoms are so varied and can change up depending on the individual. The VA does provide full physical exams for any Gulf War veterans who request them which is good, <laughs> the least, literally the least we can do. But again, it doesn't mean that it can necessarily be effectively treated. 
there there are thoughts and theories and potential promise that cognitive behavioral therapy, meditation, mindfulness, and yoga might help. But honestly, those things have been shown to help literally anyone. Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) true. It's just like a general health thing. Yeah. It's like saying... It's like it certainly won't hurt. It's like saying... um, Quit smoking, don't drink as much, and eat healthy foods. Well, yeah, that's just good for anybody. That's that's just general health advice. It's not like... It's not everything. It's not specific to this disorder. So it's a catch-all, basically. Uh, Exercise is also recommended, but again, duh. And antidepressants, corticosteroids, and immunotherapy have also been recommended, but again, really limited research as far as showing its effectiveness. And it's not really known how helpful those things are in treating Gulf War syndrome. Some potential promise to help treat some of the symptoms of Gulf War illness is being shown in some areas of research in more recent years. For example, Stimulation via low-level random electrical noise patterns could potentially help veterans with dizziness and balance problems. A component of the spice turmeric called curcumin might be able to help with overall inflammation. But again, these are just potential helpful treatments, and it's in early days, and they only treat symptoms, don't cure anything. In the U.S., government-funded research is conducted under the Gulf War Illness Research Program, or GWARP, because it's a fun acronym, Uh, which is several sub-levels under the direction of the Department of Defense. And for each of the fiscal years of 2013 to 2017, the program received $20 million in funding. That's not a lot. It sure doesn't seem like 250,000 people, a quarter million people. And $20 million. Uh, and given that our military budget... Oh, fuck the military is budget. Is $760 billion? Something like that? Seven hundred. I, I know it's know. 750 plus. It's too much is what it is. Yeah. So you'd think you think you could chip off is. a little more than twenty million to these guys, but to put that that, in, that goes to show you how much how much they really care. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And to put that in perspective, uh, twenty million per year is also the funding received for ovarian cancer. Oh, okay. And eclipsed by the $120 million funding breast cancer research. And this is all under the same umbrella of the congressionally directed medical research programs. Um, now, that's not to say that breast cancer isn't important to research. It's just that, uh, first of all, not much. $120 million is also not a ton. No. <laughs> so it's just everything is underfunded. And in the meantime... If the average age of a, of a Gulf War U.S. soldier was 27 in 1991, these veterans are now an average age mid-50s. of 55. Yeah. yeah. And unless effective therapies are discovered at a much more rapid rate than they have been in the past 28 years, it doesn't seem incredibly likely that these veterans will see much relief in their no. lifetimes. And all for a seven-month period when we stuck our big-ass noses because of oil and money. Mm-hmm. Into the Middle East. And that, my friends, is the story, the ongoing story of Gulf War Syndrome. Yeah, that's why I really get, it's not, I'm not annoyed at the charity or anything like that. I'm really not. But occasionally when we go to the grocery store and they're like, oh, do you want to donate this such and such 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 for the troops? I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, we're already giving $760 billion to the military. That money should be going to whoever needs it, right? You know, I, I, you know, and that money's we're also giving that, 
So mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. I don't. I don't get. Ups- funding it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with charity at all. The charity part is a noble venture. Yes, mm-hmm. and sadly mm-hmm. necessary. That's the problem. Is you that know. it's necessary. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And how horribly the VA is run mm-hmm. and how underfunded it is. And because, I mean, these people are a cyclical stomach cramp, severe uh, abdominal cramps and diarrhea. Like, what the fuck? That's horrible. Yeah. That's that alone. And that wasn't the only symptom that guy had, that no. soldier had. The, these people are suffering from horrific symptoms that are that are literally changing their entire the course of their entire lives like in the the soldier or, or the veteran portrayed in diagnosis couldn't work anymore oh sure oh and that, that happens. was obviously causing severe that happens a lot. financial problems yeah. with his household like because mm-hmm. now his wife was the only breadwinner in the family and they still had a, they were trying, I'm pretty sure, and for if some, I'm remembering this right, they were trying to save for their daughter's quinsay. You I, know, was, so I was sad. also going to say, and for some reason, especially if you've been deployed, I think every person who's been deployed has a minimum of four kids. Like, they, like <laughs> soldiers just have gaggles of kids. I don't know why that is, but they do. I, I think, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just throwing this out there, but probably for, you know, there's probably a correlation between, you know, like serving God and country sort of values and traditional family values. Oh, I'm sure. So yeah, I'm sure that has something to do t- with it. Tending to yeah. wanting to have kids and have a family. I've just always it. noticed that. I mean, I grew up not too far from a very big military yeah. base. And when you walk around the mall in that town, it's funny because every <laughs> woman you see is like six months pregnant and she's carrying two strollers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and then the because... You know, they need to be supporting their families, but then they can't work, they can't work. because of this shit. I've seen plenty of um, them. I've seen uh, probably half a dozen at least stories on uh, Vice about a particular soldier that the one the last one I saw was because of um, they weren't Humvees. They were the newer vehicle they were using to get around. I can't okay. remember. I can't remember what the name of them were, but. That's where this guy, because he was constantly riding around the back of one of them. Obviously, they're military vehicles. They're uh-huh. not meant for a whole lot of comfort. Right. He thinks that's that's where his back pain oh, came from. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Like cramped up yeah, in and he, it and, and he jostled. Can't, and... He can't work because he literally, because of his back, and they still he still doesn't know what's wrong with him. He can't really lift anything. Yeah. So. And again, that's neurologically mm-hmm. related because once your spine starts getting involved in yeah. shit, yeah. And the guy knows. He's just like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm fucked. He's like, <sighs> I know. Yeah, it's just, and that's also why twenty three um, uh, veterans kill themselves every single day. That's twenty three. Like, yeah, beyond the like, there's they're fucked physically, they're fucked mentally, they're fucked emotionally. I mean, and for what? For what? For, <laughs> for fucking for fucking nothing. What? That's the thing. It, the issue is not the people who choose to serve. No, it's it is it is at at this point yes, a choice. For they the made US that troops. choice, and they have to do their job. And I think they all understand that. Yes, but they shouldn't. The, I mean, if these hazards were present in any other workspace, it would be shut down. Yeah. It would be literally raided and shut down <laughs> yeah. by the Department of Labor. Hopefully. Well, yeah. OSHA <laughs> would have a fucking field day with this shit. Yeah. But this, these are the conditions. And I get that, yes, war is different. And people understand that mm-hmm. that's what you might be getting into when you, when you choose to sign up for this job. Quote, it's part of the job. Whatever. But 
the reason I don't, I don't we're put going them, for I don't want to put them through it. No. Absolutely and that's not. the thing is that we're choosing so horribly where to send our troops. We're so interventionalist. And it's one thing to be interventionalist for humanitarian reasons sure. and send humanitarian <laughs> aid. That's not what the fuck we're doing. We're, we're, we're fucking with our own financial interests. Like, it's all money. It's all fucking oh, yeah. money. Yeah. Because we're greedy-ass motherfuckers, or we're run by greedy-ass motherfuckers. That's the more... That's the way to, to do it. And and then all the mo- all this money is getting siphoned off for these interventionist wars that are all greed motivated. We're spending how much money in contracts that are that are ridiculously high. So it's like the whole thing when the current Iraq war, because we've never really gotten out of that either once we started mm-hmm. again. By the way, that is something my cousin also said when he got back from this war. He's mm-hmm. like, he's like, we'll be going back there. He's like, I don't yeah. he's like, I don't know when he's like, but we will. It only took 12 years. God. Um, but, uh, geez, I forgot what I was, was going to say. <laughs> I think it's just a general rant we're having now <laughs> against so. the U.S. military, how it's being run. Yes. And that's the problem. It's not the soldiers. It yeah. is the the leadership. But the, the, lead, up, the lead up to the, the uh, other Iraq war, mm-hmm. the uh, modern one, is what yeah. I was trying to talk about. Now I remember what I was going okay. to say. <laughs> but I remember the whole time of the buildup about the WMDs and stuff and trying mm-hmm. to make people afraid of Iraq as if they're going to invade us. I'd like the whole time I was sitting there thinking like I'd fucking love to see him try. Well, that's the thing is that they they <laughs> they would not even make it to the fucking coast. Well, I mean that's they used nine eleven to fear monger. Oh yeah, and it's uh, I I will absolutely grant you that nine eleven was horrific. It's not something we'll ever cover because that was clearly just an act of war. Mm-hmm. Um and and therefore I would lump that into crime. I know we've been been getting skirting with a lot of political stuff lately and I get that. But um but the thing is and that's the thing I the thing that I think a lot of us as Americans need to really wake up to is that we're funding this. We're paying we're for funding this. death. We're and destruction yes. all over the fucking world and it's not necessary. And when it comes back on us like in 9/11 not a single one of those people deserved to die, no. I, and that's horrible. But it was retaliation. Yeah, it was coming. Well, and that's the other thing too. You were a little bit. You were sixteen when nine yeah. eleven happened. Well, I was twenty four, um, and there was there were a bunch of bombings that happened in the years leading up to nine eleven. Yeah, there that's was, right. The world, the first World Trade Center bombing, right. and stuff like that. Um, plus the USS Cole bombing like a year before. Yeah. But anyway, um, they don't really talk about this much anymore. But people, certainly my age and a little bit older, I think maybe because of the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993, we were all kind of like, something is going to happen at mm. some point. Like, like they're going to, they're going to get, they're going to get back at us at some point. Mm. And like, the, I remember that was like the first thing I thought. Oh wow! When the Pentagon got hit on 9/11, oh, I was like, hmm. Huh? I was like, this is the day. I was like, yeah. it's the day it finally happened. Yeah. So, uh, all that to say, like. <sighs> Every action has a reaction, you mm-hmm. know? So when we go and do this shit, this is what results. You can't fuck with people... Without getting fucked Forever. <laughs> yeah. Without them retaliating. Yeah. And this region of the Earth, we've absolutely treated as our fucking um, military playground. Yeah. I mean, it's just... I mean, yes, are the are just like in our country, are the politicians in that part of the world scumbags and terrible people? Saddam yes. Hussein was someone who deserved yes. to get hung publicly, yes, he and did. he was. <laughs> yes, and he, yes, and he did. Yeah. 
But the citizens and stuff like that, I, I, what fucking problem do I have with those people? Yeah. None. Yeah. You know, they're just trying to work and make a living and get through mm-hmm. life just like the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. It's it's the politicians and the other people that are fucking it up for everybody. And it's, Same here. Yeah. And it's, Same here. It's bullshit. And right now, look at who's our commander in chief. It's yeah. just such I'm, bullshit. I'm, I'm it's all bullshit. shocked we have not gone to a new war. Well, no, we have. Sorry. But a new ground war with yeah. this president. But hey, we've still got another... 15 months? 16 months? Vote, people. That's what we're trying to say. Vote, vote, vote. Um, they say get registered and vote in the early voting if you can. Does that change the... what? Is that just to ensure that nothing happens on election day that it's, you can't control? It's not to something? ensure. It's you have a better chance of your vote not getting thrown out or oh, your okay. vote or you getting kicked off the voter, voter okay. rolls if, yeah. you, if you vote early. Because there's plenty of voter suppression, yes. obviously. So, yeah. Yeah. Vote. Vote. Vote early if possible. Yes. This is become... <laughs> We've become so political. People are probably starting to hate it, <laughs> which, which I would understand. Everyone really enjoyed the Everest <clears throat> episode, but probably because it was it wasn't, just a clear... It wasn't very political. <laughs> it wasn't very political. No. Sorry. It's our next... I have our next few planned out, and they are not politically oriented. Um, this one I just wanted to get to because I saw that diagnosis mm-hmm. episode, which I do recommend. We should watch that. We yeah. should watch that. Um, but we'll be getting back to more traditional disasters it's just that it's just all related and also guys i i am starting to identify more legitimately as an existential nihilist so (laughs) (laughs) i do want to ask so we've got a lot of new people who have um joined our discussion group which is awesome Mm -hmm. uh just as like a little get to know ya here's something fun and incredibly uh not frivolous to ask of everybody uh i'd love to hear from our listeners like how do you identify in your belief system (laughs) i know this is super heavy to ask but i also know that we have some really cool people who are for example like christians Mm -hmm. and that's awesome yeah because clearly they're open-minded enough to listen to us mm-hmm. spew what we spew. <laughs> so thank you, especially Katya. I know that she's one of our listeners who's a very, what appears to be a very liberal Christian, mm. but also a person of faith. And, you know, that's that's fantastic. But I'm just interested in hearing other people's points of view on things. And especially, like, um, disasters are... Uh, weirdly drawing to a lot of people. So I'm just, I'm just interested (laughs) in learning more about the people who listen to us, I guess. Sure. Not like we have any market research to lean on or anything. No. Apparently people in Cleveland don't Uh, love us. (laughs) Yes. I'll be going to Cleveland in uh, about six weeks as well. I think you mentioned that on the last episode. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's real easy to get worked up over stuff like this. And just shit is really hard right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think for a lot of people, yes, in many countries, I think uh, most of us agree that like everything that's unfolding now is pretty much a giant bad thing. Yeah. So it's it's hard not to let that spill in, but hopefully we're still kind of entertaining in the process. We like to think so. Yeah. We're either that or insufferable. So one or the other. <laughs> we're either a one star or five star. I was gonna say <laughs> the more insufferable we we become, we'll we'll notice a, a drop in our listens. Yeah. Yeah, but we really enough. haven't. No. I mean, we're nice and steady, yeah. steady as she goes, because yeah. we got a lot of awesome people yes. listening to us and interacting with us, and we really like that. That's really nice, and we appreciate that. That is not a bad thing at all. That is um, the good side of humanity, which is fun to see from time to time, because it, it's the only thing that makes me 
not want to just say, okay, let's all just give up. <laughs> there are nice people all right, fuck out it. there. Everybody die. <laughs> no. no. All right. We probably should end this. Yes, we probably should. Yes. So that this has been another episode yeah, of All that Bad was Things. The story. Oh, okay. That was the story. Oh, hi, Demetrius. Demetrius, Demetrius is, is saying back. Hi. Uh, that was the story of the ongoing mm-hmm. and pretty much will be never ending until Hopefully. all of those troops have passed away. Which is horrible. Yeah. Gulf War Syndrome. Mm-hmm. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.